This is Channel 253. The Citizen Tacoma podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Candice Rood, and I fly Alaska. To book your next flight, go to alaskaair.com. I'm Candice. I'm Doug. And we are the Citizen Tacoma podcast, informing an empowered electorate. I thought we were empowering an informed electorate. In In the the city city of destiny. Hi, Doug. Hi, Candace. Uh, so today we talked about some wonky land use policy on the port and the tide flats. Uh, but definitely listen in, even if you're not a policy wonk. We The two folks we had on, Councilman Ryan Mello and planner city planner Stephen Atkinson, made it really easy to understand. That's right. And be like Doug. Sit, you know, I sit in my booth and I learn stuff. So <laughs> you just listen to the podcast and learn. What more could you want? Nothing. <laughs> Tune in. <laughs> All right. We are here today with Councilman Ryan Mello. Hi there, Candace. Hi. <laughs> and city planner Stephen Atkinson. What's your real title? Uh, principal planner. Principal planner. Yeah. Oh, I'm moving up in the world. <laughs> <laughs> One step at a time. <laughs> One step at a time. Uh, so we're here today to talk about the interim land use regulations for the Tide Flats area of Tacoma. So that's a lot to unpack if you're you're new to this topic. Um, so uh, does either one of you want to take a stab at, at what that means? Kind of describing the general area? Yeah, just broadly. Yeah, uh, so broadly, uh, we're talking about the area kind of from the east side of the Foss Waterway mm-hmm. um, uh, across the Tide Flats to uh, Marine View Drive, generally on the whatever you want to call it, the north or east side of Marine View Drive, kind of along the hillside, um, and then from 509 to the head of the waterways. Okay, cool. Um, so a lot of people would call that the port area and I kind of wanted to do an an episode about this because it's something that keeps coming into the news cycle over and over because as the interim regs get renewed and people are probably trying to tie this to, or thinking in their minds, how does this tie into everything else that's going on at the port with land use and with the coming sub area plan, which we will unpack all of that. Um, so what are the interim regulations and why do we have them? So um, interim regulations, really wonky word. Yes, uh, I love it. <laughs> I, well, Stephen might not like this, but I, I think maybe <laughs> a, 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 a simpler way of putting it is um, a moratorium on certain things. It's, it's not as draconian as I think what most people think a moratorium is. Mm-hmm. But um, what we said to ourselves was that the Tide Flats area, the greater the port area, is incredibly important to the future of Tacoma's economy and quality of life. And in this ever-growing city, mm-hmm. we need to be uh, much more thoughtful about how we keep it uh, a, ro- a robust place for commerce um, and for um, a growing economy uh, and um, a, a great uh, neighbor to a growing commercial and residential uh, growing city. And so with that in mind, we said, okay, we're going to do a very deep, thoughtful planning process with all the stakeholders. But it wouldn't make sense to let the status quo happen mm-hmm. um, if we don't put a pause on certain things, not everything, a pause on certain things that um, could undermine the long-term 
uh, outcomes that we want to see. Um, hence, we said, okay, we're going to put a moratorium on certain things, moratorium, certain, it, certain kinds of development like large fossil fuel development, um, uh, other kind of really high impact, high intensity kinds of uses in the tide flats. Everything else goes, right? Shipping remains robust. Mm. Cargo handling remains robust. All that stuff. The things that that um, have a likely potential for really high impact, we said we want to put a pause on it. When you say impact, what do you mean by that? Pollu- major pollution, um, major climate um, uh, pollution impacts. Um, so impacts to air quality, uh, impacts to taking up large swaths of land that um, for some uses, like fossil fuel production or fossil fuel export, that maybe we don't want to be the long-term use. And we maybe want it used for um, green manufacturing or further cargo handling and exports of other things mm-hmm. um, that aren't fossil fuels. Right. So kind mm-hmm. of preserving some of that space for the potential to have those uses in the future, even if they're not there right now. Exactly. Yeah. So the interim regulations put a pause on things. So that's so you can, I think I use those words interchangeably of a pause or moratorium on certain uses so that we don't screw up our ability to really um, have this thoughtful, um, in-depth planning exercise take shape and then whatever outcomes come from that. Okay. Yeah. Steven. <laughs> yeah, I'll just add, um, I like the word pause. I use that. <laughs> he doesn't I like the word moratorium. <laughs> um, no, but I, I mean, I do I, I agree that I, on the one hand, the, the term interim is a really strange word because yeah. from a staff standpoint, all of our codes and policies are interim. They do change. We go through processes every year when we have new information, we have new permits, we have new case studies. Sometimes we have new policies and we got to go back and look at our codes and our standards and think, are we fully implementing the policies that council has adopted and given us direction on? So um, these are codes that do change every year. Mm-hmm. And so that when you start to get into this discussion of temp- interim versus permanent, you know, it, it's, a, it's a strange sort of bureaucratic way of, of basically, I think, just saying that we know we need to go through this planning process. We know that there's issues that we need to resolve in the Port Tide Flats and to think about the future of that area. Um, and, you know, but through a sort of condensed process, the interim regulations, it's just sort of put that pause in place while we conduct the, the, the research, the analysis, mm-hmm. the community process to come back and say, okay, now what's the long-term resolution about how do we think we can address these issues over the next 30 or 50 years? Um, so it, it is a strange way of sort of talking about this, but um, I, I also think it's helpful to kind of get into a little bit on some of the different aspects of the interim regulations, yeah. and, and this is where the wonky side will come out a little bit. But, um, you know, so Council Member Mello talked a little bit about the fossil fuel industries. Um, but, you know, there are a lot of different concerns that came up when we were asked by Council, is there a need for interim regulations and what would those look like? And, you know, one of the things that we heard from the community is, you know, coming from the methanol and, and PSE projects mm-hmm. is that there was an adequate notification. Right. People didn't know what was going on and what the timelines were and when public comment was accepted um, and how to get involved. Mm-hmm. And so there's a deficit of just sort of understanding the processes and how to get involved. Um, and so that was part of the interim regulations was saying, OK, well, these are things that do have a community wide impact. Um you know, so we need to really make sure that notification for any future permits are much more expansive. Right. So now, so there's basically like four pieces, four components mm-hmm. to the interim regulations, and that's the first one in my mind. And it 
extended um, public notification of those projects to is it a half a, a mile or half it's, a mile? I always forget the the number of feet in a mile, but it's it's twenty five hundred feet from the edge of the manufacturing industrial center. So, so not, not even the from project. the project, right. not even from the project. So that was where the shortfall because people was. don't live in yeah. the dead center of yeah. the <laughs> port area mm-hmm. where the project is probably happening. That's so they're not getting notified. Yeah. So the, so the way so the way I think about interim versus permanent is we don't necessarily know right now. Well, is twenty five hundred feet the right answer for thinking about the kinds of impacts and effect that a project might have on the community? No. We may go through this process and in two or three years come out with a different kind of notification distance process procedure that we need to put in place for projects. Mm-hmm. But, it, but, we had to but, pick it, but it does and... help establish something now to ensure widespread notification. Right. The other one is, you know, we heard a lot about the potential for conversion of industrial land. So we know we've got a lot of growth we're expecting in the region for industrial uh, economies and manufacturing. Mm-hmm. And one of the issues in our region is where is that going to go? And so, you know, you're seeing a lot of stuff happening in Lacey and Tumwater and places kind of far out on the periphery. Um, We have a lot of vacant space. We have a lot of underutilized industrial space. Um, But what we realized is our zoning allowed significant non-industrial uses. And so, again, part of this. Give us an example of those. Well, I mean, so some things. So this is a real example. uh, um, And it seems minor, but could have a pretty big impact. A few years ago, an interesting project I had come along was another agency had gotten a grant to put in place a seaplane float in the tide flats. And you're like, oh, seaplane float. This sounds like a great, cool thing. Well, when you start to look at the FAA regulations about what happens when you create an actual airport to meet (laughs) FAA standards, it could have had a huge impact on the industrial users. So Mm -hmm. suddenly the steam coming from the pulp and paper mill, that's a big problem when you've got planes flying in because the presumption under the state and federal law is once that airport is created – Everybody around it has to conform to the airport. Right. It's so an now public they get the the preeminence in terms of that land use. So it's a minor thing where you can think on the outset, oh, this seems like a reasonable user activity in this area. You start to dive into it, and you go, oh, oh, maybe, maybe not. Maybe we really need to think about where siting for that kind of facility is appropriate. So that was one where it could have an impact. But the other things were. Um, you know, we allowed commercial, we allowed parks and recreation. There were still some kinds of residential uses that, that were sort of allowed in that area. Um, it was the Northwest it, Detention I, Center. Did, did, <laughs> Seems up, like that. up until recently, pr- prisons and detention facilities. Yeah. The the code went so far as to say in the in, in this industrial area to say if the use is not if if the the use that you want to put here in the industrial area is not enumerated clearly. Mm. It is allowed. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which, <Yeah>. which is, <laughs> so if yeah. we if we haven't thought of it, mm-hmm. it's allowed. Yeah. That, and right. that, that's a, in my opinion, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. we th- that's <clears> something <throat> that we did in these interim regulations is we struck that language. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's no longer outright allowed if it's not listed on the land mm-hmm. use table. Okay. Yeah. So, but that would include like if the detention center weren't there right now, these interim regulations would have. If they came, if, you know, the federal government came in and said that we want to build this here, that would have been like, well, currently that's not allowed in the port. Yes. Uh, so uh, the specifics of the of, of that facility, we did address through a different code. Um, so we did have sort of right. two separate processes that that went through at, at the same time, like two different sets of interim and permanent regulations that we were working on. But that's that's sort of the idea is that's that's not an essential public facility. Um, it, it is, you know, 1,500 
people, I don't remember what the, the number is, but a significant number of people mm-hmm. living in the tide flats. And so it is interesting when you run numbers about where people are living in the city, you always <laughs> get this big dot in the middle, you know, in the tide flats of people are living down there. Um, and so, yeah, so for the most part, I mean, we're talking about an area where you've got impacts from both industry, mm-hmm. um, but you also have significant environmental uh, concerns down there. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's an area where there's seismic concerns, there's flooding concerns, there's, you know, you can kind of go down that list. And if there was an access or where there was an emergency, we know that access to getting in and out of the port is also challenging. Right. And so we've heard a lot of concerns right. about that, too. So from a standpoint of like, in general, do we want to support people living in the tide flats? That's probably not <laughs> appropriate from a, a a balance of industry and people living next to each other doesn't always work well, but also the other concerns around that area right. really came to the forefront. So that kind of leads nicely into another component, which is um, maintaining a buffer of residential or restricting residential mm-hmm. encroachment into that area. And that's kind of the third facet of the mm-hmm. regs, right? Yeah. Um, and that was one, I think, again, that we heard on sort of both sides. So from a from a neighborhood standpoint, we heard a lot of a, a lot of concern from the community about the kinds of air quality impacts that yeah. that they feel that their experience or noise or light or other things. Um, and so sort of a message of, hey, this is untenable. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this is a problem for us. From the port industrial side, you hear a lot of the same concerns that when you have people living close by, then they start to call and complain and there's nuisance issues and all kinds of things that affect people's operations or ability to do business. So you've got these sort of good neighbor issues when they're in close. And, you know, we got to own as staff and as a city that, you know, we had we have policies in place about trying to maintain, use the topography in northeast Tacoma to maintain a separation between these uses. We mm. have natural features in our community that help create these buffer areas. Um, but what we thought we could rely on is that, well, nobody's going to build the hillside. <laughs> so there was nothing actually put in place that said, no, you absolutely can't build this area. Or if you do, here's standards that you have to meet. Mm-hmm. It was, oh, you know what? The market's changed and housing is is getting so hot that now people are willing mm-hmm. to try to develop areas in the city that otherwise we thought were undevelopable. Right. And so when You're talking we thought, about that like bluff. Yeah, above the bluff yeah. in Rainbow Northeast Drive. Tacoma. Heron and Ridge. so we were seeing all kinds of inquiries around new developments uh, on that hillside in close proximity to the port, kind of creeping down that hill. And realize, you know, we can't just rely on existing processes to address this issue. Right. And and so I think that's something that we felt was both responsive to the neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Let's not compound a concern that we're hearing from the neighbors and let's not compound an issue that we're hearing that's of concern for the, the businesses, too. I mean, this is why I think the, you know, so the interim regulations by some in the business community have um, we've we've gotten criticism that they're anti-business. Mm-hmm. I I could not disagree more. I think they're very, very pro-business and very, mm-hmm. very pro-economic development. We are with residential encroachment on limited <clears throat> industrial land is not pro-economic development. <laughs> uh, other non-industrial uses in what should be industrial areas is not pro-business. It's mm-hmm. nickels and dimes. The industrial these. These industrial areas, and we need to. We we can do industrial manufacturing right. We can do it healthy, mm-hmm. clean, in this urban environment. So, getting this right, planning for the future, protecting our industrial base mm-hmm. while pivoting it towards a more green and healthy, compatible, and planning for that future. The you know what transportation infrastructure needs to be improved. Yeah. How do we fund it? In what timeline did we do it? Other utilities mm-hmm. to sustain a robust economy. These are all 
uh, elements that are going to get done in the Siberia plan, but the interim regulations set the stage so that we don't keep nickel and diming away these critical lands. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I I argue these are incredibly pro-business and incredibly pro-economic development in a very thoughtful way. Right. Uh, Yeah. And it's kind of so there's four components of it and two are kind of business economic development centered. Mm -hmm. If you think about like keeping residential encroachment from happening and keeping non-industrial uses from creeping in. And two are kind of about the community and environmental aspects and concerns, which is the increased notification and also there's a moratorium on on new fossil fuel mm-hmm. business N- new industries. high impact. What's the term we use? Well, um, new high impact. We don't. We don't. Uh, we end up not using that term. That's my term. I, think, in the <laughs> 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 I mean, I think those were some of the considerations. Though it was, it was in part. So the kinds of things that we're talking about are like you know coal facilities and coal terminals. Right. Um, Probably don't belong here. Yeah, and, and so that's a that's a good discussion. What what are the impacts? So I I can't say for certain that I know absolutely what the impacts would be from all of a sudden we start shipping coal through the port of Tacoma, but. That's what we need to look at and consider when we come back to council in two or three years with the final recommendation for a plan is that we have thought about coal facilities and coal terminals. And, and new, we have a strong new oil and gas and facilities. new oil and gas facilities. And um, and then things like smelters is another one. Right. You know, we have a, a history with smelting in the city. What are you talking about? Uh, yeah, what am I? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and... Um, and then chemical manufacturing, and we, and we do have a number of uh, chemical manufacturers in the city, and that was one that had had, had been identified um, previously in our code. I mean, you're talking about you know things that could be highly explosive, highly toxic, both to to workers or to the environment. And so, you know, I don't think that the interim regulations are intended to presume a specific outcome. Um, it may be that certain types of, of chemical manufacturing may have a, a home in the tide flats, but we've got to understand how far from a neighborhood, how far from a certain kind of resource is safe and what kinds of impacts might we expect. Mm-hmm. Um, and what, what mitigation are we going to cause? Because we exactly. have a, there, there are chemical facilities and they've caused mm-hmm. significant <clears throat> uh, contamination to pollution to this date, to the groundwater, to the soil. So this laissez-faire, anything goes attitude that the city has had for the past 40, 50, 60 years, the city council has said that's that's not in the city's interest anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we <clears throat> we need to be more thoughtful, as Stephen has said, and we're not going to just let anything go. Mm-hmm. So the reason we're talking about this right now is because the interim regs were first passed in November 2017, and you guys approved them. The city council approved them for a year and then had to review them again last November. And now it's been another six months. So they're up for review again. Uh, <laughs> you guys are like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So do you expect any changes this time? What's that? <clears throat> what's, is that process? that process? I think you guys vote in May on continuing the interim regs. Yeah, we um, we we're getting some continued requests to um, what some in the community are asking to strengthen the interim regulations, saying that it's great what we have um, in the current interim regulations. We completely support the pause on these things we're talking about, like residential encroachment and new high impact uh, facilities. Um, but what about the existing high impact facilities? Get, if they grow a lot, won't they have significant unintended consequences and negative effects? That, that's what some in the community are advocating for. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think the council is going to make any changes at this point mm-hmm. to the interim regulations. Um, but the, that's what we're hearing from some in the community is trying to raise this education that um, 
if a certain current facility doubles in size mm-hmm. that has lots of air pollution impact, climate impact, others, um, it's just like citing a new one. Like U.S. oil or something like that? So, something like that, yeah. So if it doubles mm. in size, isn't that just like citing a new one, mm. which which the current interim regulations say no new ones? So, th- so that, that's what we're, we're hearing. I think council is listening to that, but not quite ready to do anything there um, and very eager to get on with the long-term planning so we can figure out what that – you know, mm-hmm. you'll get tackle those kinds of questions um, for the for the long term. So I, I, right. I think you're going to see adoption of the interim regulations as presented, which is incredibly significant for this community. Um, 10, 15 years ago, I think everybody would laugh if you said that that's what was going to um, that that we could be um, doing this pause for for these kinds of reasons. And entering this kind of robust planning with all stakeholders, mm-hmm. um, people would laugh yeah. and, and say that that's just not politically possible. Well, to, it is politically possible, and we're on our way to doing it. Right. That segues really well into my next question for you. Um, so kind of tell us – so like you said, 15 years ago, this would have been kind of unthinkable. Tell us what the story is about this growing tension and the port about land use and um, – over what the future of Tacoma's tide flats should be. So um, there, there is a natural tension with growth. Um, a- any growing region has natural tension. So, um, and then with you know a a, a t- an, an industrial area like Tacoma that has historically had a lot of polluting industry, um, change is hard for anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, we we see change in our residential areas from what used to be exclusively single family to um, a mix of single family and multifamily next to them um, or down the street that that's a huge change and mm-hmm. change is hard so um, this is this is no different than that for some of these industries that have been there for um, decades and decades it's hard to think about what an alternative future is and I completely admit that so but it's it's a it's a must that we think about our changing economy that we keep our tide flats area, poised for um, the economy of the future and keeping it um, ready for that, meaning we need to keep investing in infrastructure mm-hmm. if, if we're going to keep it um, really competitive as the place to do commerce that we envision it. What do you mean by, <clears throat> do you mean like more egress <laughs> out of the tide flats and better roads and all that kind of thing? Or, better, or more better, ro- better roads, better rail, more more rail to move cargo more efficiently, mm-hmm. um, fixing the choke points for transportation. We have conflicts with um, cars who are trying to get to, neighbors who are trying to get to Northeast Tacoma getting stuck behind miles and miles of truck traffic. Yeah. Truck traffic trying to get out of the port of Tacoma. The time is money for shipping, right? This yeah. incredibly competitive environment for shipping and trade. Um, these these major ships can go anywhere, including uh, Prince Rupert up in yeah. Canada, mm-hmm. down south. It's incredibly, incredibly competitive. And our competitive advantage, um, our labor is not cheaper. So um, and I believe in strong labor, labor standards and people making a very good living. So th- they're not going to get cheaper labor, mm-hmm. but what we can offer them is time savings. Mm-hmm. And, and that means investing in rail and, and, our, uh, and our highway system to get cargo in and out of there. But that all takes deep, deep planning, um, thinking about who, what gets improved, how does it get improved, who pays for it. And that's all critical elements in this 
uh, sub-area planning process that we're going to be engaging in. Right. So, yeah, sub-area plan, can you briefly, just really quickly, tell, tell us, <laughs> tell listeners what it is and who's involved? Yeah. So the, the, the Tide Flats area that we're talking about is a, is a designated regional manufacturing industrial center. And so we are, you know, we have, uh, I think, plans to expand growth and employment there by 7,500 new employees. Uh, we're required to conduct a subway plan to, to uh, think about how to actually stimulate growth to achieve those goals. Um, so the subway plan is is um, it's a regional requirement. It's going to address everything. You know, looking at that specific area, how do we balance? You know, we've got lots of policies on transportation, on economic development, on our environmental resources and neighborhood quality. So, but how do we look at that specific area and think about how we balance and and understand the trade offs between those different goals and policies? Um, so we. You know, if you go back to May 9th, 2017, the the resolution by council that that started the interim regulation discussion, it also allocated the money and and initiated the subway planning process. So these two have been joined from the beginning. Um, and uh, you know the subway plan is is something that that is going to be reflective of the broad impact that our tide flats have on our region and the health of our state. Um, so we, we've been working with uh, essentially five governments, so uh, Port of Tacoma, uh, the Puyallup Tribe of Indians, uh, City of Fife, and Pierce County uh, to craft a work plan to look at how we're going to coordinate with all those different governments that have sort of a, a stake and an interest in what's happening. Um, and kind of where we're at at this point is that the, the steering committee uh, comprised of two electeds from each of those governments mm-hmm. has, has um, approved a general work plan. Now we're taking that and starting to think how we translate that into a scope of work, a more detailed scope, and an RFP to get consultant services. So what we're expecting is probably over the next you know, six months, we'll get consultants on board to help support that effort. Uh, we'll start working with the community on crafting a public engagement plan and identifying specific opportunities and roles for community engagement in that process. But um, my my general sort of uh, sort of setting expectations is that all of these things, especially when you're involving five governments in a, <laughs> in a consultant contracting, I mean that it takes time. It takes more time uh, to do that. So trying to set expectations that. Things are in motion. We are, but we can't. We are still not in a place where we can answer every question yet that people have about how it's going to work and when. Right. Um, but over the next six months, I think we'll be setting the stage to be able to answer those questions. Okay, cool. Well, that's a good place to take a real quick break. This is Nate Bowling, host of the Channel 253 Sister Podcast, Nerd Farmer. Fam, you know I'm all about travel. I love traveling to away games for the Sounders or Tacoma Defiance. I love visiting new cities and cultures. And that's why I'm so grateful to have a hometown airline like Alaska right here in my backyard, because they get me wherever I want to go. If you haven't heard yet, Alaska Airlines is sponsoring an amazing opportunity for members of Channel 253. Anyone who is a current member of Channel 253 on June 17th, 2019, will be entered to win air travel for two anywhere Alaska flies. Got that? I'll say it again. Join Channel 253 anytime between now and June 17th, and you will be eligible to win air travel for two anywhere Alaska flies. That means Cancun people, Cabo, D.C., Pittsburgh, Vegas, Columbus, Anchorage, San Francisco. I'm just listing great cities now, but you get the idea. Sign up for Channel 253, support what we're doing, and be entered to win Air Travel for Two. To sign up, visit channel253.com Alaska. Terms and conditions apply. To all the fine people of Alaska Air, thank you for sponsoring this promotion and for your longtime supporter, Channel 253. 
All right. So become a member of Channel 253, please. It's $4 a month or $40 a year. $4 a month is less than one 12-pack of LaCroix, which I go through in about three days. So become a member. All I'm right. going to become a member after this. Are you going to? <laughs> it's just it's on the website, right? Yeah. How, how, how exactly do you do that? I'm so glad you asked. Channel <laughs> Channel253.com and there's a membership tab. Channel253.com membership tab. Yes. Easy peasy. Easy peasy. Lemon squeezy. Thank you guys. All right. So we're here with Ryan Mello, Stephen Atkinson, talking about planning and all sorts of wonky land use stuff. Um, so we were talking about the sub area plan. Uh, every every government kicks in money for that. That is involved. <laughs> sure, to, sure. Why not? Uh, um, the, the three main governments, the Puyallup Tribe of Indians, the City of Tacoma, and Port Tacoma, are the main funders. Okay. So, yeah. It's, okay. And it's going to be expensive, right? Doing this mm-hmm. kind of process is expensive. Uh, yeah. I remember, uh, I think, a couple of years ago when it was first introduced, I think Councilman Toms was like, oh, we'll have this done in 18 months. And I was like, no, you won't. <laughs> it's going to be years. I, I, the way that I think about it and summarize it is um, this is all about having it all mm-hmm. we we we're going to um have a productive industrial manufacturing lands that have great paying jobs and continue to position this place as a great place to do trade and business and have a growing city with residents and other um other kinds of you know downtown office jobs like th- this is all about having it all and um, it's focusing on this sub area, mm-hmm. this specific area, to get down to the details to answer the questions. Okay, how do we get there? That that's what mm-hmm. this is all about. It's okay. about having it all. Okay, yeah, I think people would agree with that. <laughs> Everyone wants it all. Um, so, Stephen, this one's for you. Uh, the city is required to by the State Growth mm-hmm. Management mm-hmm. Act to plan for the massive growth that's coming to our area. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do these interim regs and the sub-area plan for the Tide Flats fit into the overall plan for Tacoma? Yeah, no, that's, um, I think this is a great question because it's, it's, I think, important in my mind to keep some context, um, as you said, Councilman Morello, about sort of the, the growing industrial center, but within a vibrant and growing city. And, and we want to have a relationship there where we can have both. Um, and I think our planning in generally in general supports that. I think for some big picture, we know as a region, I mean, we are growing um, very fast, and there are there's uh, you know the demand for new housing in our region is outpacing the the new supply for housing, and we're all feeling the the impact of the cost of housing and rent and the sense of instability that can come with that. Um, so we are our planning starts from an assumption that we we are trying to accommodate 127,000 more residents. Wow. So approximately 55,000 new housing units in the city of Tacoma by 2040. Wow. Now we're not growing that fast. <laughs> so I will temper again expectations that we are seeing denser, bigger projects happening in the city of Tacoma. Um but our growth rate is similar than it has been in the past. It's just a different type of housing where we used to grow, but with new single family and new single family. And even in the 80s and 90s, we were filling out like the West End and Northeast Tacoma and new single family neighborhoods that we're seeing a, a major shift in the types of housing that we're getting in the city of Tacoma. But it doesn't necessarily mean when people see the new Proctor projects that we're growing a lot faster than we were in the past. Okay. So growth is still happening anywhere from like a half percent to one percent per year. We should be growing at about a 1.8 percent cumulative growth rate every year to get to our housing targets. 
we're also um, planning for approximately 100,000 uh, new jobs in the city. Mm-hmm. And so to take some, again, some regional context on the job side, as we know that I mean, the concentration of jobs and employment in Seattle and King County is just, I, I don't think its it has a parallel in any other major region in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can probably go down to San Francisco and see that there's more, you know, economic growth happening in places around San Francisco than what you're seeing in Seattle and in and, and this region in Puget Sound. So that's one of the one of the roles that, that the port plays is we we know that the long, part of the long-term answer for Tacoma with all the investments we're making to help get people to Seattle and all the pressure we're having on housing is to have more jobs in the city of Tacoma. Yes. And so it's a fundamental issue that we need to make sure that we are accommodating new growth, new housing, mm-hmm. new commercial activity to serve those residents, but that we need to get jobs in the city of Tacoma. And so I think that will be one of the, the major questions going into the sub area planning effort is, you know, we want to double the number of jobs in the port. You know, there's a there's a health issue there. There's an equity issue there. We want to be able to connect people who live in Tacoma to those jobs. How do we do that? And what does that look like? So when I think back to the public hearings that we've had on the interim regulations, you know, one of the things I heard is that you you can focus on the the sort of the divisions and the, some of the conflicts, but I think it was it was generally there's a very broad consensus of people trying to reach across the aisle, trying to understand where other interests and other stakeholders are coming from in the community. And that we do want a port industrial future and we do want to retain those characteristics of the city. Um, I think we we struggle with um, when we talk about transitioning to mm-hmm. new kinds of jobs or new industries of identifying what does that look like? And, and so I think I heard a lot of, I think, empathy from folks about, well, we want to do that. And if you're working down there, understanding where sort of the environmental or neighborhoods are coming from, and on the other side, sort of understanding that if you're employed down there, well, if our jobs change, where do I fit? Right. Where does my job, where does my work, where does my family fit in the new economy and whatever that looks right. like or the new job? So there, there is, I think, a, a challenge there of imagining mm-hmm. what that looks like and how people fit into that future that hopefully we can elucidate through this planning process and, and, and help people understand and buy in to what that looks like. Um, but I think even, you know, even so even more broadly, you know, we're not planning for significant growth in Northeast Tacoma, <laughs> we, but we do have edges and we do have these tensions. Um, but I think the other way I would I would kind of look at this in terms of our planning is, you know, I think good planning is good is sustainability. Mm. And, you know, we we talk a lot about and we have new policies about climate change and how we want to adapt and how we want to mitigate. And we can still um respond to and reduce our emissions. And we can still try to lessen the impacts of climate change in the future. And and that means thinking about the role of fossil fuels in the tide flats. But it also means thinking about how much density, how much housing, and where we accommodate that in the city. And so we are going through other processes right now. And these this is a big picture where we've got to link what we're doing in the tide flats with the fact that we're out looking at right now Areas around the city that are supported by transit, that are within walking distance of schools and parks and commercial districts. And, you know, what level of new housing do we want to support in those areas? So if we want to tackle fossil fuels on the supply side, we also need to look at it from a demand side and how we reduce demand and reduce dependence on single occupancy vehicles. And that comes down to investing in transit and housing 
and making great neighborhoods where people can feasibly not have to have a second car or they can meet more daily needs without getting in their car. Mm-hmm. And, and that brings up a whole different set of challenges about what people value in their neighborhood and how we navigate that change. So we, we've got this sort of bigger picture that we need to communicate as we do this, that the Tide Flats as a sub area still fits within a broader context of what we're trying to accomplish as a city mm-hmm. and the sustainability that we're trying to accomplish and the equity and the health and, and making sure that that's a complete picture. Um, and that's a, that's a message, you know, when we go up to Northeast Tacoma, we have rezones in Northeast Tacoma that we're looking at right now that would support potential new multifamily housing in Northeast Tacoma. Now, not in the area that's of concern, right. uh, <laughs> up kind of a North Point. And, um, but, you know, and, uh, and this is where I'll get in. So I, I got in my, my remarks about Seattle, <laughs> uh, all, the, all the job growth in Seattle is happening up there. But, you know, this is, it's a, it's a bigger regional picture of maintaining industrial lands regionally. Um, and, uh, and this is where I'll, I'll plug, you know, we're, we're working right now, I'll say working uh, with Pierce County, because we know within our county, and the county is heavily involved in the subway plan and, and those policy discussions, but we also know that, that, you know, the county has a huge urban growth area. Mm. And that urban growth area affects our ability to get housing and get job growth in our city, in our jurisdiction. It affects supply. It affects housing prices. Um, Definitely an episode for the future. For the future. So this is a teaser. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Invite me back. Um, So we're also working on these kinds of regional issues about how we accommodate growth um, on the housing side and employment more broadly than just the city of Tacoma. And how does sprawl in the county affect our mm-hmm. ability yeah. to reach our vision in Tacoma. Yeah, yeah I can, so what, <laughs> what is what is what the county, just like really quickly, what is what the yeah. county is doing in their plan hurting Tacoma's potential? Like how is it hurting Tacoma's potential plans for growth? The, the well, county is planning in the in the greater Spanaway area, mid what people call mid county area, planning there they are planning for as much growth there, thirty thousand more, mm-hmm. as we are in downtown Tacoma, wow. thirty thousand more units so, of housing uh, of housing. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So if if they're planning for that, that 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 means it's not coming to Tacoma, right. where there's already built mm-hmm. out streets and sewers and Walkable, sidewalks and transit. water system. There's transit. There's all this infrastructure system. It's really expensive to build a city, believe yeah. it or not. And you can't... It, it, so if they're going to build that out, where's that money going to... Where's yeah. that financing for all that infrastructure going to go? And if it goes there, that means it's not coming to Tacoma mm-hmm. to continue to preserve the already built out environment. Yeah. So there are huge mm-hmm. implications. And then you put 30,000 more people out in the hinterlands how are they going to get around? Mm-hmm. Uh, how much more road network, highway network, how much more traffic and congestion are you going to create over there? Mm-hmm. Schools you got to open up. I mean, it is just, it, there are huge, huge, huge implications um, for everyone in Pierce County, mm-hmm. um, including people in Tacoma, mm-hmm. when you take away our ability to grow in a smart way. Right, a smart, um, dense where it needs to be dense. So it's just, so the county is, it's just more sprawl. And, okay. and moving the problem somewhere else and creating new, I call them new shiny puppies. Mm-hmm. You have a new shiny puppy, you got to go service with sheriffs and schools and roads and sidewalks and all the rest of it. It's very, very, very expensive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 
And again, not to take us too far off the, <laughs> yeah. off the path. But, uh, you know, but there is, I mean, that's a, the, the fact is the planning work that we do and the issues that we're addressing at the city are sort of multi-scalar, right? So it's, it's, a, it's a regional discussion. It's a countywide discussion. And all those factors of what happens in the region affects our ability to succeed on our goals. What happens in the county affects our ability. Um, so, you know, just contextualizing, I think, some of these discussions in a way that recognizes that it's not just all about what we do in the time right. It's also about how we work with those other stakeholders more broadly uh, to make sure that all the planning that we're doing as a region is helping support Tacoma to be a, a successful location and to balance, you know, the issues that we're talking about today. Right. And those those kind of sometimes competing mm-hmm. desires and needs. Um so I have a listener question that you guys kind of answered um, is about – so the LNG project kind of seems like the catalyst for a lot of what's happened with land use decision-making in the last couple of years and seems like – I mean it was just so – it was such a fiery uh, outburst of community engagement when people found out what was going on and was that – that sounds like it was kind of one of the reasons for the expanded notice because people for a long time didn't know – about the LNG plant. And so what would you do differently was the question in in like getting public comment and engaging the public in a huge project like proposal like that in the future. But it kind of sounds like part of that mm-hmm. is expanding notification of such projects. But anyway, if you want to take a crack at that. Yeah. I don't know if that question made any sense. I hope it did. Well, it, it, I mean, it does. But I, I think we we just always try to, I think, recognize that, you know, sending a postcard or sending a letter or something to, to residents is sort of one way to help reach people. But a lot of people don't read that yeah. or don't necessarily pay attention. And I do think that there's a there's a need to try to get sort of multiple means of and methods of communication to kind of go and, like, touch people before they start to pay attention. Right. And then we realize, I think, that there is a deficit in just people understanding this sort of bureaucratic language of what's SEPA and how does SEPA work and what are the processes and timeframes and what does it mean that there's a preliminary determination of non-significance. <laughs> so we have been trying to do more proactive outreach with like our neighborhood councils and community groups to kind of understand what those processes are. Not and needing a law degree in order to not, engage yeah. with your local yes. government. Uh, that would be, that's a great way of putting that goal. Yeah, <laughs> and then, And then understanding that, you know, the different means, whether it's using social media, um, whether it's utilizing more of, you know, these kinds of discussions of recognizing that there are different ways of reaching people beyond just the strict notification and that, you know, we would be exploring more of those opportunities. Um, The other thing is, is we have had more um, now like public meetings on projects. So Mm -hmm. it's not just you get a letter and then you send in comments that there's going to be a meeting so you can come in and meet staff and ask your questions and hear from whoever the prospective developer is in the project and kind of get those details firsthand. I, I, I would say I, I think the, the methanol project is really what uh, oh, precipitated yeah, um, the urgency of the of the deeper mm-hmm. planning. Mm-hmm. But I, I really would submit that this deep planning in the Tide Flats area would happen, should happen, would happen with or without the liquefied natural gas plant or the methanol plant coming onto the scene mm-hmm. um the this there there with all this growth is happening potent, these potential conflicts have been developing for some time the LNG project and the methanol project are were were symbols um of ways for for folks to galvanize 
Um, and right, symbols matter and right. they make it easier for people to pay attention and that sort of thing. But I, I submit that this level of planning for our future would, would happen, um, Regardless, it probably would happen with slightly different focus and less of a temperature in the room, but would happen nonetheless. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. I'm glad to hear it sounds like people are kind of they're coming together more in the more recent public hearings and kind of hearing each other more, it sounds like. So that's would you say that's true? Yeah, I think there's an acknowledgement that um, that there are plenty of good good jobs and industries that we can identify and promote. Many, many, many of them currently exist in the tide flats. Mm -hmm. And there's many others that we want to pave the way for the future to come to Tacoma and grow Mm -hmm. in Tacoma. There's strong acknowledgement from all sides that that is our future reality and that we're going to work on that goal together. Great. Uh, If people want to learn more about the interim regulations, where can they go? Um, cityoftacoma.org slash tideflatsinterim. Nice. All right. Well, thank you both for coming on. Really appreciate it. We'll have a definitely either us or Crossing Division will have an upcoming land use battle (laughs) between county and city planners. So stay tuned. (laughs) Thanks, Candice. Yeah, thank Thank you. you. Thanks so much for listening to Citizen Tacoma today. We are part of the Channel 253 network where you can also find these podcasts, Move to Tacoma, Nerd Farmer, Interchangeable White Ladies, We Art Tacoma, Crossing Division, Flounders B-Team, and Taco Man. If you'd like to reach out to us about anything you heard on the show today, or if you'd like to suggest a guest or a topic, please email me at candice.rude at gmail.com. That's Candice with an I, dot rude, R-U-U-D, at gmail.com. The Citizen Tacoma podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Candice Rude, and I fly Alaska. To book your next flight, go to alaskaair.com. This is Channel 253.